Hello, listeners. How are you this week? Welcome to episode 82 of Push to Plat. Look, it's a bit of a PlayStation podcast, I'm told, about trophies and games. But, you know, look, I think it covers a bit of everything. We are very lucky today to have a returning guest. She is the wonderful host of the Game Stuff podcast. She's a sometimes PlayStation player, a sometimes holder of the Xbox controller. But what she is, is she's an advocate of the PC master race. She has been a member of the next gen for a lot longer than any of you PS5 or Xbox Series X fanboys. She's here today to drop some love of games onto us, as well as a bit of retro gaming. It's been a while since we've touched on any emulators or retro machines. So I'm looking forward to, to diving into that today. But Look, let me start off by welcoming good friend of the show, Kalai. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me again, CJ. I've been looking forward to this. Excellent, excellent. Well, as we said, low bar at the start of the show, and it can only go erectly up in that position. A bit like the game we were talking in the pre-show, but we're not going to sully the regular listeners' ears with that, Kalai. So, look, I want to I want to just start off with, first off, the hype that has been around these new machines. As I said, you are a PC gamer. What do, what do you think about all this? Because ultimately, you're playing on a system which is still more powerful than either of the two next-gen systems. What, what do you think about all this this hoopla around the new systems are you excited do you not care at all i'm excited for everybody that wants to play i am disappointed in both of them in the fact that that you cannot get them yes yeah. and that's a shame i want i want everybody to be able to play and experience this next gen uh including the ssd and of course the ray tracing it just makes games look beautiful so i'm i'm really hoping that they do get stock. My goal is to eventually have one, uh, have both actually, because I do sometimes like to lay in, um, lay in, I have a yoga bow, which is a big beanbag chair. I like to lay in my big bean jean chair and look up at my TV and play. No, like I'm mm. a kid again. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Look, what, what I want to ask you then is like, you know, the, the pricing of these, you know, and look, I'm going to refer to Australian pricing here because I, I don't have the American pricing offhand, but they're, they're both the same. The system's coming in at around 750 Australian. That is still significantly cheaper, Kali, than buying a PC of similar specs. Is, is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's a fair statement. Yeah. So one of the things that attracts me about console gaming, obviously, is that you turn the system on and then it works every time, pretty much, you know. One of the things with the, the PC, and admittedly, you know, I'm not a, a PC gamer or whatever, client. I bought a, some sort of a laptop that will run a fair few games now. And about a week ago, I hadn't played anything on it ages. I'm like, oh, I'll fire up something old and it wouldn't go. And I spent like 20 minutes and then I realized I had to update the drivers because the graphics, because it, it doesn't do it by itself for some reason. I look, It's probably me. But it's just these little steps that you have to do. So over the years, you've obviously learned how all these steps work. But but don't you find it today still more frustrating than a console? Or are you at the point now where you know what's going on? It, it's super simple. Well, I've turned on my PlayStation and had to update that. So I don't see how that's any different <laughs> than my PC. <laughs> Well, the only difference is the PlayStation updates don't do anything. At least the PC <laughs> updates will do something, I'm told. Yeah, I know. I'm just used to it. Like, I also, I'm very lucky. So I want your listeners to understand this. I am very lucky. I have a dedicated one terabyte line into my house. So when I do an update, it doesn't take me that long to do. Hmm. One terabyte. 
Most of this country runs on megabytes still. That is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well, we had the opportunity to finally get a uh, Fios, which is a like a terabyte or it's gigabyte or whatever it is. It's a lot. In fact, I was playing, my friends were playing, how were they playing? Half-Life? No, mm. not Half-Life. Oh, um, God, the other one from the orange box. Oh, it's been a long day, listeners. I'm so sorry. So they were playing a team game, and I was like, oh, I want to play. Team Fortress, that's what they were playing. I was like, I want to play. I was like, oh, I have to download it. Just give me just give me five minutes. They're like, oh, no, we'll see you in three days. And my, my other friend went, no, she'll be done in five minutes. And in five minutes, I downloaded it, like 15, 20 terabyte, gigabyte game. <laughs> Look, I have to ask, with the connection that good, and I know that you do enjoy the old multiplayer game, how do you sort of get away with, you know, explaining when you get the shits with the game and you suddenly get dropped from the lobby there? Because it's not going to be very believable anymore, is it, with such a good internet? Well, then you tell everybody that it's that you're not hosting, and so obviously the guy oh. that was hosting has Walmart internet. <laughs> I see. I see. You're 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 well versed in this. Now, look from a technical standpoint. You know, I'm a I'm you know I'm a small brained individual, and I'm happy to hold that flag up high. Many of us <laughs> out there. Uh, what I want to ask is these two words. They're lovely words, Kali. They're sexy words. They are what I'm waiting for in the Xbox. I know they're in the PS5 as well. I have a sneaking suspicion. Not too many people understand what these two words even mean, even though they love to say them. Ray tracing. What is this? Ray tracing is the way the light is perceived in your game. So it actually makes it more believable and it gives you more options, more shading. And I was lucky enough to play Control on my PC with ray tracing and it was gorgeous and it was beautiful and it was like I was really there. So to to a small brain individual, you talk about the light. Is it sort of like... It's different from HDR, though, isn't it? It's different to the whitest whites and the blackest blacks. Like, Yes, because ray tracing is dynamic. It takes where the position of the sun is supposed to be in like a game like Red Dead Redemption and actually casts the shadow. Okay. And as you move, the shadow moves because of the time of day, because of your position. It takes account all of that. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's so it's very immersive, I imagine, within the game. So, what I want to ask, and again, I didn't prep you on this. So, look, if you if you if you don't know, you don't want to comment. That's totally fine. But obviously, you can spend like you know a million and two million dollars on graphics cards, TI, blah 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 blah, whatever you need to buy on the the PC. And is the ray tracing that's available in these consoles, obviously for only you know the seven fifty Australian, is it comparable? Like, uh, uh, we're obviously going to notice it, but obviously not to the same extent we would on a on a proper nvidia i believe is that if that's correct graphics card or well it's really hard to say i couldn't i can't actually attest to that Mm. because as of right now the only thing to have ray tracing is the nvidia card Mm. which means the amds which power all the consoles don't have it Ah. so i couldn't tell you what it would be like because i haven't seen it Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't see why you guys wouldn't experience as much as I. I do know from research that you might want to have the proper TV. Hence why I don't know if I told... Oh, I didn't tell you. So as a PC Master Race person, we talk about our frame rates. The higher the frame rate, the less skipping, the better your quality looks. On most TVs, you cannot get higher than a 60 uh, frames per second. You're locked. Most consoles play at about 30. As a PC, 
my personal one pays at 100. I max out at 100. So, of course, we're making fun of my husband who's playing on a TV. So, he went out and bought a new TV last week. He got the uh, new LG OLED, which is perfect for the new consoles. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) So, I'm like, well, now I want a new TV. So look, I, that was my next question. I want to go into to monitors and TVs because obviously, you know, all the, this sort of stuff in these consoles, obviously some of it at least has got to be dependent on the, the TV that you're running, doesn't it? Like, and I know, I know if you don't have a 4K TV, obviously you're not going to see in 4K, you know, or whatever else. But then as you say, like the LG OLED there, the, the CX or, or whichever one he, that he, he got there, it's an amazing TV or whatever, but your experience is going to be largely dictated by the quality of the, the TV you have, isn't it? It is, uh, especially with PlayStation, because I believe PlayStation can't do 1080, if I'm correct. I could be wrong about that. Mm. If I'm wrong, please don't come at me, guys. I'm so sorry. But they were saying that if you don't have a 4K TV, the PlayStation 5 isn't going to look as good, which I find to be a problem, because let's Mm. face it, not everybody can go out and afford to buy a $2,000 TV to play a game on. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's very true. Now, it's it's funny you mention that because I, I did want to get on to all that topic or whatever, but I did, you know, look, I'm an aging gentleman and I thought it was time that I, you know, retired the old black and white TV and actually bought something decent for myself. I've always had just, just cheap and nasties, which have always done the job, Kalai, you know, there's been no problem. But oh, yeah. I thought thought it was time to, to buy myself one. So, look, I got one of the L, LG ones earlier this year as well and, you know, we, we won't talk about the cost. I definitely haven't told my partner that yet. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and but look it is a wonderful tv and it's not just for gaming that was the intention but now for watching movies netflix everything it's become the main the main tv but what i wanted to ask you is now this is another very sexy word polite it's a word that i don't understand but when i was in there buying it the the young dude you know quite attractive young dude who was selling it or whatever he was doing the hard sell the refresh rates all this and then he said to me do you want a g-string with it and i thought well what is it we can go in the back room if you like but uh but that's not what he that's not what he meant Kali. i misheard him it was g-sync the tv comes with g-sync what is g-sync g-sync is a technology that will lock the tv's rate to your uh your graphics card rate so that way they're the same um g-sync is not used as much as FreeSync is, which does the same thing. FreeSync does the AMD side. G-Sync does the NVIDIA graphic cards. Uh, mm-hmm. the, and it's very hard to get them to interwind and work. But yeah, so if my max is 100 hertz on my TV, then the G-Sync will max it to 100. It won't go overboard. Yeah. It won't max out the your graphical settings or your TV to make it look bad. So it's a good thing then. It, yeah, it can be a good thing. Um, I Like I said, I don't play with it much because I have a free sync monitor because for whatever reason, G-Syncs are way more expensive than the free sync. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're starting to come down in price, which is mm-hmm. really nice because I do stuff like curved monitors and when it comes to curved monitors, they like to jack up the price when they add stuff like G-Sync. Well, there, there you go, listeners. You know, maybe maybe some research is required, much like a G-string. It can be a good investment if worn in the right places. So that's uh, that's G-Sync. Excellent. So, look, I promise you this is not a hard sell for, for specs or whatever else because I'm way out of my depth, Kali. But it, that was really interesting because they are words that I've, I've wanted to know for some time. Now, I want to go to the complete other end of the spectrum, if we can, to this Evercade machine. Now, 
Am I right in saying this this is an emulator, isn't it, this machine? Well, no, it's not really an emulator, to be honest with you. What is it? So, the Evercade, it's based out of the UK. It's a company that did a retro arcade handheld system. And they produce actual cartridges for the system. So you get cartridges Mm -hmm. that you stick into it. Each cartridge can contain anywhere between 6 and 20 games. And they run about... $20 $20 US. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is in, in Australian money. Mm, mm, probably about a thousand, but yes, <laughs> we get the picture. Uh, but they are constantly working with developers to update the actual software and the hardware. So they're taking mm. older games that had problems and fixing those problems and putting them out on these on cartridges. Yeah. Okay, so when I first saw you get this, it was earlier in the year, I believe, you you, you ordered one and, and you received it. I sort of I read it and I looked at it and I thought, oh, this is just like a gimmick. There'll be like one or two cartridges and that'll be the end. But I looked today and there's now, there's like over 18 cartridges available now. So there's 200 plus games or something. So this is a, a project that's obviously going to be supported into the future as well. Yes, and they actually have... Um developers newer developers not just arcade classics so you have everything from pac-man to uh xeno crisis uh tanglewood uh i think foxyland is coming so which is a ride of laka game so they're supporting everything little developers to older stuff yeah i see they even have a worms cartridge as well Yes, Worms Cartridge, uh, Earthworm Jim. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I want to ask you then, how has your experience been with playing these sort of things, or this thing? Oh, fantastic. I've been playing the older RPGs. I got the Pico Collection, which has a lot of the RPG games. I'm a big RPG mm-hmm. fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you also... Oh, yes, please. Uh, I was going to say, I also like, played Burger Time. I played... Um, there's this one game where you just ate ice cream. And Evercade has been doing a, a contest to see who has the highest score, and you can win like a free free Evercades and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna participate in it. Dude, no, they allow because the, the system allows save states, and they allowed save states in the actual in the actual contest. So like people maxed out the score. Um, it's not happening. <laughs> yes, yes, they're good like that, aren't they? Uh, is this? Can I ask? Is there any online interactivity with this, or is it totally? It's a totally offline machine. It's a totally offline machine. Uh, however, you can hook it up to your TV. It actually has a HDMI port, but it has the mini HDMI, which we figured out. Uh, however, the one experience I did have with that is the first cable I bought didn't fit right, so it kept falling out. And when you when it comes out, it automatically turns the system off. So you have to really like research which is the best cable mm. uh, to play on your PC. Uh, but there are games on it that like Pac Man. Pac Man is uh, you could play two player. You know, in the car- arcade, you you take turns. Well, you can play at home now and take turns. Just you just swap the console back and forth while you play it on your TV. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, when I was reading about it this morning and watching a thing, the thing in the back of my mind was about game preservation because I know I know the Xbox is trying with its backwards compatibility and look, it's done a great job or whatever else, but they're, 
there isn't really any, you know, fixed machine at the moment that's in this game. I know you can run emulators, but, you know, on your PC, but that's a bit of a nightmare within itself sometimes, or you can download ROMs or whatever else. But this thing does, it does definitely appear by going through the games list this morning that it, it almost could become, I suppose, a games preservation machine as well. You know, a, a nostalgia trip, which I'm sure it must be for you because you were gaming at the time a lot of these games were, were first around. Yeah, I I do like it for the nostalgia factor. A lot of a lot of the games, which, by the way, I don't. I, just to like bring it back to the like Xbox stuff, I wanted to tell you. Hmm. Did you see that the Xbox has a uh, can run PlayStation Two games better than the PlayStation Five? Well, well, really, we we have to be careful here, Kali, because this is a PlayStation show, as you know. I know that. Well, I know, but you can play PlayStation 2 games on an Xbox Series X, but you can't on a PlayStation 5. That That's true. But look, in its defense, I hear, listeners, that the PlayStation 5 at the moment is outperforming the Xbox Series X on a lot of the AAA new-gen games. So perhaps there's going to be a role reversal. Perhaps Microsoft will be known for their, you know, their retro games into the future. <laughs> that, that would, <laughs> wouldn't that be a wonderful, a wonderful switch? Because the other thing, I don't want to detract back to that, but the other thing from I was looking at some digital foundry stuff is that the PS5 at the moment is definitely outperforming. It's it's not a, not a joke or a, you know a whatever outperforming the Xbox Series X on games like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Dirt Five, and the the general theory is that that maybe the systems were out in the wild for developers earlier than Microsoft, so they've actually had more time to adjust the games to it. But and and Microsoft games make catch up in, into the future, the performance. But I found that very interesting because I was sort of under the impression that it was going to be more the other way, at least at launch. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I have been seeing a lot of stuff like that and I'm getting sent a lot of articles about how the PlayStation 5 is so much better than the Xbox Series X. Mm, but... Yes, yeah, there are pe- people that believe that, I believe. Uh, mm, tragic. However, I don't, think, uh, place, I don't think Xbox raised the prices on their games. Yeah, that's true. That is, that is very true. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, let's come back a little bit to the Evercade because I'm not finished there. You've obviously ordered quite a, quite a oh, few yeah. cartridges now. What are your sort of, you know, if, if you were going to buy this thing and it looks like it's selling for around 80 US, so it's not it's not an exorbitant price by any any stretch for the, the, the console. Does the console, I couldn't find, does it come with a cartridge or could you recommend some, some of these cartridges out of these ones that you've had so far? So for $80, you get the, the system and one cartridge. For 99 you get the system and three cartridges. That's a pretty good deal. It is a really good deal. It is a really good deal. So I'm supporting them because they're, they're trying to preserve a lot of these games and even fix some of these games. I would definitely recommend the Pico Collection. Uh, it has a game called Battle Saga, which is an RPG akin to like Chrono Trigger. It's the old 16-bit which I'm having a lot of fun playing. Uh, let's see what else. Of course, there's the Atari collection. I mean, there's just so many. There's the Namco collection. If you'd like uh, Pac-Man. I mean, Xenocrisis alone is a really good game. They have a Xen- uh, Xenocrisis, which is a uh, shmup uh, interplay. I mean, there's just so many I would love to see. Hmm. And I have, I have a, I have a lot. I have so many at this point. Some of them aren't even open. And I got <laughs> lucky enough that I ordered one of them from a company called Songbird Productions, 
and he had actually done a game for the Atari Lynx cartridge that went out there. So he sent me a message and asked me if he wanted to, if I wanted him to sign his my copy of the uh, Atari Lynx, and he did sign it for me. So I actually have a signed copy of one of the oh, games. That's, that's fantastic. I, I love that. <laughs> one of the things that you mentioned too, obviously. I'm not attracted to these games because, by and large, they're way tougher than the modern games that are released today. But you did say that it does have a save, uh, a save. Uh, what? Sorry, what's save the state. word? There? Safe state. Safe state. That's right. Yeah, I, that that's something that's very attractive to me. Are you a, a gamer that needs the save state, or are you skilled enough in your ways to a- avoid the use of that? I'm old enough that I use save states. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. it's very well handled. <laughs> Just it makes it more accessible. It makes it maybe maybe with these save states you'll think about playing a game you've never played before that's older mm-hmm. and then you'll be like, Oh wow, this is amazing because I have save states. So I'm all for save states. Yeah, no, no, look, look, I, I definitely am as well. Now, look, I do want to shuffle over to what you've sort of been playing and, and for the rest of the episode, we'll, we'll talk some games and stuff. But before we do, the, there's something that came up recently on the, the Game Stuff podcast, which you, you host, and it's something we don't hear a lot about. And I suppose, like, I, I'm very conscious that a lot of the listenership of this audience is younger than us, but there's there's also some that are that are mature like us. There might even be one or two that are older than us, Kali, but I don't believe it, uh, out there. So, so this is a, a very real thing. And, and you talked about this, like, tennis elbow or gamer's elbow. And it's so funny because a few months ago, I was playing Ghost of Tsushima, which can be a highly, highly button-mashy game. And I probably played 60 hours over the pace of maybe two weeks or something or three weeks. So it was pretty pretty hardcore for me. And I got severe pains in, in my hand and my arm. And, you know, I've had that before and I just keep playing because, you know, why not, Kali? Why not? And But it got so bad that even at work, like, I just couldn't move my arm. And that's when I knew I really needed to stop. And I'd get these shooting pains out of out of nowhere or whatever. And it was just from the, the RSI, from this repetitive, you know, thumb movement in particular. And, you know, I took a week or two off and, and it sort of cured itself or whatever but you mentioned that it became a bit of an issue for you as well and and you joked about because of playing too much games but I'd love if you could just talk a little bit about that uh, experience so I was having um uh my mom said I had tendonitis she's a registered nurse and she was like I was like should I go to the doctor she's like no no no, you shouldn't go to the doctor there's nothing they could do Hmm. and finally I broke down and I I went to the doctors because I was just after like three four weeks I was Actually, it was a couple of months I was still in pain. It turns out I was diagnosed with what's called golfer's elbow. It's mm. the repetitive use of the actual wrist. And what it does is it affects the elbow and it affects the shoulder. Mm. And on top of that, I have, um, it was called Little League's Elbow, which is like, a, 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 there was a section of bursar. It's called the bursar in your elbow. That actually was where the pain was radiating from. So my doctor was like, we're going to give you a cortisone shot, which should help with the pain. He, I was wearing a um, tendonitis band around the, the, my arm, which was right below the elbow. And what that did was compress my band, which made the pain stop, uh, stop hurting a lot. But then he decided I needed to buy uh, to need to wear a wrist guard, a, a stint, just like if I had, um, uh, you know, from using a keyboard too much, you get that, that problem in your wrist so Mm. now i have to wear both of these and now i'm like i can't stop gaming so now i'm trying to hold a controller with this 
he's all these braces on and i'm like trying to play games and i'm like this isn't working oh my god what if i can never play games again oh god i'm gonna kill myself so my husband's like play play games play games like fire emblem because you don't have a lot of rapid movement you can sit and i was like good idea so now i'm like playing like uh, it was just it was it was bad it was bad it's so funny you say that because when it happened to me, the first like first four or five days, I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And then I noticed it particularly at work, like in one hand, it was really hard to hold stuff because I was, I was getting the pains and stuff. And so I did a bit of WebMD, as you do, you know, and I realized I wasn't about to die at that point. But, but really? One you didn't have, you, if you're WebMD, <laughs> I thought you had cancer. That's right. Well, you know, I, I, you know, not, not today, uh, touch wood. But, uh, but I looked at it and it had a few gamers stretches, which I thought was interesting because it, it is a, it's an it's a physical sport gaming, obviously, Clyde. So you do need to do your stretches. That was my fault. But then the, the, the main tip was that you, you just need to stop playing for a while. And my brain was like, well, that's probably not going to happen. So we'll just avoid that tip. And of course, it got worse and worse. And it got to the point where I was like, I'll just push through it. A bit like you were obviously doing till it got, you know, far worse for you or whatever. And, I, and the, the logic in me, I'm not a young man, as I've said, but the logic in me was like, well, if I just keep going, something's going to happen. It's either going to get better or a hell of a lot worse. And I did actually have to stop for a week because it wasn't it wasn't going to get better. But it's funny to hear you say that you're still trying to game around everything else. That's uh, yeah. The, the, and, then, the and, and then and then I was like, I should really stop. So then I start reading an actual book, and my husband's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm reading a book. I have plenty of books." He's like, "But you should read on your iPad." <laughs> <laughs> so it's a complete it's a funny thing because you know most males you know you build up very strong wrist wrist strength in your you know when you're 12 and 13 so you, you think you're going to be good you know with your wrist action for the rest of your life from that period Kali but but it, it doesn't hold true unfortunately you know maybe it's overuse at that age I'm not sure but it, it comes back and, and bites you but look it's, it's a thing that it's a, it's a real thing I suppose now why don't we shift across to what you've been playing? Now, I don't normally hear I have a rough idea because I bring up profiles, but I'm going to be totally led by you here. I have no idea, which makes it, it quite exciting. But what would you like to share with us? What have you been playing? What have you been enjoying? So for the Backlog Beatdown, I actually uh, down, uh, opened up a game that I bought oh a year and a half ago. It was still in the wrapper, too. I started <laughs> Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Why? Why is what's all the hype around this game? Why is this game so bad? I'm like, it's not too bad. And then I had an entire section where my character was talking and no words were coming out. <laughs> is this on the PC you're playing this or console? No, I had bought it for the PlayStation. Uh, okay, so I played a little bit of this game when it first came out. Now, my understanding, it has been hugely fixed, but one of the biggest issues was, of course, there was no emotion, no movement on the face when they were talking or whatever else. Uh, a lot of that, I think, has been addressed. I think the game's been made more stable. Apart from that experience, would you agree it's playable now? Or, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Mass Effect game, so for me, I was just like, oh, it's a Mass Effect. It feels like a Mass Effect, you know what I mean? So, like, I didn't even notice about the facial. That might be bad, but I didn't really notice. Well, I do think they fixed it. I do think they fixed it. Is this brought on by the fact that there's rumours? I don't believe it's yet been confirmed that there will be a remaster of some sort of the Mass Effect series? Uh, not the remaster. Is it they're making another game? Oh, they're making another one, is it? Ah, okay. I, I didn't because I know EA has a bit of a policy on remasters or not not doing them, but they of course then go and do them like burnout and and things like that. So I'm not sure. Okay, what what else have you got there? You can throw at us. 
Uh, I've been playing Fire Emblem, Three Houses. I am 50 hours in and I just hit the 50% mark. <laughs> so now this uh, a game, of course, for the Switch or whatever. It's another wonderful game I downloaded but have never have never played yet, Kalai. What am I, what am I in for in this game? Talk to me about it. I like this game because it, t- it takes the JRPG and it has a different twist on it. Uh, I grew up a huge chess fan and uh, the combat, which is tactical combat on a grid, to me is like a very elaborate game of chess. Combined with the fact that you want to build your relationships and teach your students at the same time. So necessarily to, to make your characters better, And to increase their stats, it might not be just, oh, hey, let's do battle after battle, or I have to grind this battle. It might be going fishing and creating a meal and having a meal with your with your students or having tea time or, you know, learning from your teachers. I like it. I I love it. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you about this game, though, because I think I could be wrong here. So so do correct me. Is this a game where, in effect, you have permanent death for your characters that if they do die, they're gone? Yes and no. The original series did have permadeath. In the later series, to make it an easier access for people, they took the option away. So the option is still there for permadeath, but you do not have to play with it. I personally do not play with it. I played one of the games with the entire game I did as permadeath. I kid you not, I, my husband called it rage quitting. I would kill a character, rage quit. I'd kill a character, rage quit. And I would rage quit the scenario over and over and over again because eventually, if you don't have enough people at the end of the game, you won't be able to do the last scenario. Yeah. See, this is one of the problems I have with permadeath in characters. And, like, uh, it's really interesting because I just, you know, recently recently played Watch Dogs Legions that does have a permadeath option for your characters. But characters in that game are different from characters in in most you know RPGs in that you can have as many as you like and you can change whenever you want so you, you perhaps don't have the the relationship with the characters that, that you would have particularly in a in a JRPG but even in that game I was like I'm not gonna put like 20 minutes an hour four or five hours into this character and then have them go you know because I made a mistake or they died or whatever that would that would that would very much frustrate me and I can only imagine in a game that's Look, a hundred plus hours, I believe, a, a, fire, a fire emblem. There, it's got to be. It's got to be frustrating, don't you think, to have that as an option? Yes, I. Uh, again, I would play like a scenario, and in the middle, and I'd save before the scenario, and in the middle of the scenario, I die. Turn off the system, <laughs> reload the save, and start from the very beginning of the battle. So I turned it off for for these games. I'm just playing to enjoy it. So if my guy dies, he'll be back the next battle. Yeah. Now, I want to pick up on a point there, playing for enjoyment, if we can, because I know that, you know, you, you might dabble in trophy hunting or whatever else, but, and I'm sure this is no offense to you, but you're not, you're not really a trophy hunter. You know, you, you're not, you're not addled by the curse of achievements or, or whatever else, like you, you dip your toe in them or whatever, but you won't, you won't let your gaming experience be defined by them. When you play a game on the Switch, and I know you're not adverse to playing some very long games on the Switch, including Xenoblade Chronicles and the such, what drives you forward? Because there are, I mean, it's just the game and the stories, because there is no in-game achievements, really, I believe. And there's no overall system on Nintendo for achievements. And I know for many of our audience, they'd be like, well, why the fuck do you bother then? You know, but there, there is more to gaming, obviously, than that. But but what what drives you and what motivates you in games that are so long you know 100 plus hour games like this like xenoblade chronicles 
the story, mostly, and the 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 way they implement leveling up. Because you got to remember, I grew up so long ago, where you know, you know, where Pac-Man in Pac-Man you didn't even have a story. You just had Pac-Man. He ate pellets. Fell in love. Ate more pellets. <laughs> so, and then of course I got into games like Final Fantasy and mm. Zelda, and those games are fantastic. They have a leveling up system. But what I find interesting about these games that I'm playing is the way they implement um, the level up system, and I like games that don't insist on the grind yeah final fantasy is big on the grind big on the grind whereas games like xenoblades have such great quest lines that you do all these quests and you're leveled up mm. or the the first one pick up everything anything you could pick up you'd pick up i'd pick up a quest and I immediately turned it in because i picked up all the items then necessarily there was no such thing as a quest item it was an item they were looking for in the world. Even with uh, Code Vein, which is almost an anime-style game, they don't have a level-up system like, like anybody else. They have a job system where you can level each job, and you don't necessarily need to equip the job to level. And then you can switch jobs freely, depending on what type of situation you're in. Yeah. I see. I like I like that sort of thing, and I like hearing it coming from someone that's not. It's coming from a different position because I think a lot of, like a, a lot of the audience that listens or whatever, if they're playing some of these JRPGs, they intend to get the platinum or the the thousand G, and often that involves insane trophies like you know reaching max level with every character or friendship bonds, you know, particularly in JRPGs with other characters, which involves just monotonous actions or whatever. For for you know, in my view, it sort of kills the game. But then. On the flip side, we get this situation which comes, and I know you, know you haven't played this yet, but the, the new Yakuza game, Yakuza 7, where the game runs along fine, I'm told, for about 70 hours, and then you hit this massive wall where it just gets so difficult at the end that you, you need to almost do 10 hours of grinding despite even, you know, having built up your level as you go, almost a, a fixed spot of 10 hours of grinding before you can get through to the last part of the game. And that sort of stuff is a massive turnoff to me in any game, but particularly in a long game. So I, I can imagine for you it must be much the same. Yes, and stuff like Xenoblades, the other reason I like the game is the way they address traveling. So if I get to a boss and I can't beat that boss, I can. there's usually a travel point right outside the boss. So I can travel to a different area, do a whole bunch of quests, and travel right back to the boss. I don't have to grind through the entire slug of getting to the boss again. Mm-hmm. So it's more accessible and it's easier for me to handle. Yeah, I like that. Now, look, I want to throw one out at you. I'm not sure if this series interests you or not, a Nintendo uh, Nintendo Switch game or whatever here. The Hyrule Warriors and, of course, the, the recent release, the Hyrule Age of Calamity, which is loosely based on the Breath of the Wild, but it plays like a Musou game, I'm told. Does this series hold any interest for you or do you have any background with it? I played the Fire Emblem version for about 20 minutes. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's 
That, that's my other host. If you want to talk about those games, you got to have Joe on. I know, I know. Well, the funny thing is, uh, you know, good friends over at the R Three Sense podcast, the the wonderful, uh, wonderfully learned gamers over there. They are in their Discord. They've been pushing this age of calamity game for ages and ages. So the other day, you know, I thought it's time to move the switch off this piece of paper, Kali. It's not a paperweight. I'm going to put it on the desk instead to hold the books. But but, but before that, I thought maybe I'll play something on it. And I thought, well, the age of calamity. It sounds like a good idea because it's a button masher or whatever else but uh, but again you know early on and it seems like there could be grind in this game too so i don't don't know i don't know i suppose we're gonna find out as we as we go one of the games i'm really interested in hearing you talk about is code vein it's a game that i started and i felt like oh this is going to be a soulsborne game it's just going to be way too difficult i spent about 20 minutes in it in the tutorial really getting into it dying a little bit or whatever else but you know here we go i'm gonna get there all of a sudden blue screen of death the game had just you know fucked itself because i died so many times and told me not to play it anymore and so a little disheartened i i you know deleted it and have never returned but talk to me about this game and is it approachable for a low skilled gamer like myself i think it's very approachable because you can get help what system are you playing it on a ps4 okay that's interesting um <laughs> <Fair enough. laughs> oh really yeah uh being i have a pc and have a lot more complication i've never had a blue screen of death on a <laughs> see there's, there's fanboyism between the the playstation and the xbox but it goes to a whole new level when you look up at god on the pc there doesn't it yeah <laughs> Uh, no, the reason I play on PC is I have a lot of friends that fit my time schedule and my mm-hmm. sleep. So, yeah. So, so, when you say people can help you, is it like I don't know if you played Bloodborne, but is it like you just do a little bit and then you can call people into your game basically whenever you want? Is that is that how it works? So I haven't really played Bloodborne multiplayer, but I, let me explain. I played Code Vein multiplayer the other day. So me and my friend decided to mm. play the game. So I jumped into his game. As you go through the board, there's these things called missiles that you can rest at. They're almost like checkpoints. Um, you can't save your game unless you're quitting, but they're like checkpoints. When you die, you go back to that area. You can also rest to replenish your uh, health your health potion supply. You can In the game, you can get items that will increase the number of health potions you can have. So when I jumped into my friend's game, I had four health potions i could heal for as soon as i jumped into my friend's game that got half to two. Oh, okay i was like oh so yes i was like well that's all right because all i have to do is stop off at a missile and if i stop off the missile i can rest and i could actually recharge my health can't do that in multiplayer <laughs> <laughs> and neither can the guy's game you jumped into uh, okay so we were like jumping out and healing ourselves and jumping back in before boss fights. Uh, but it's like I said, it's very interesting because in Bloodborne, you have to like find your weapons and slowly open up your classes. In Code Vein, you get like four classes to start off with the Ranger, the Wizard. They might have opened up, and like in the game, you open up very quickly. You open up other things like Berserker and stuff and i was looking through the wiki today there's like 30 different classes and you can freely switch between those classes so you can level up each class you don't even have to switch to them to level up and then you can switch to it when you need it so you can try different play styles 
Yeah, okay, I like that. But but looking more on the single-player side, and it, like, again, you know, I know when this game came out, there was a lot of hype, and then it sort of it backed away very quickly. Not because I don't think it was good or whatever. It's just these things, they come and go. You know, there's so much coming out all the time. Is And again, I'm not sure how much of this you've played so far, but is there a sto- story there? And is it enough to drive the game? Or is it mainly just the gameplay that you're enjoying? There is a story there. It's really bizarre. It's almost... Kingdom Hearts Bizarre. <laughs> I actually had to read the wiki. Oh, okay. <laughs> Something happened in the world, and now um, you are thirsty all the time, and you need blood, and you can like get, you can like give up your memories to. Yeah, it's it's again, it's almost Kingdom Hearts like. Okay. Okay. But but I can put hats on my characters, so that's all right. <laughs> So therefore, it's a valid game. I like that. Now, look, I'm not going to let you escape today without giving some love to the PC. I know you play a lot of games there. I want to do a little check-in on a game first, but then by all means, feel free to drop any other games on us that you would like to do. And of course, it is, I see you often playing this there through the, via the Discord there. It is Civilization Six. How are you going on your, your campaigns to, to take over the world there? Well, you know I don't play that game single player. I know. I play it multiplayer. As it should be. Five or six people. Hmm. And eventually we just quit after 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) And we declare a winner. It's one of the greatest time sync games, I think, isn't it? Of of all time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I've been playing Civilization for years. Since, like, three. We're on six. Yeah. When five came out, uh, my husband, who's, who's a bigger Civ fan than I am, uh, joined the contest. Sid Meier ran a contest, and the way it worked was they were given a scenario, and you had X amount of days to complete the scenario. And I forget what the win condition was. It was something to do with like how long it took or whatever. So my husband, who had to work the next day, was up till two o'clock in the morning completing the scenario to submit for the contest. <laughs> And here I am. I'm like, why are you doing this? You're not even going to win. We never win anything. So he submitted. And he was the only one that followed the rules to the scenario. So he won. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's, been, it's it's so funny you say that staying up till all hours. Because they, that's my memories of... You know, I know you can play these games on console. And I know more and more of these games are coming. But it doesn't... It doesn't feel at home to be on console. There's too much going on to play that thing on a, a controller. You, you need the mouse and keyboard. Well, look, at least at least I do. But but I remember back to a time before I played any of these PlayStations and things and really loving that game. But uh, predominantly I played, you know, single player because I don't even know that we had internet or proper internet at that point. And it, it just was, I, like, I really, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't keep up with, I think I dropped off about Civ 4. So when I tried to play 5, there was a lot more going on, I think. But the the core mechanics of that game, and I, I imagine when you're you're playing against people or whatever, it's it's more enjoyable, it's more random. But but the more you played against it, you could see how the AI thought. You know, at various difficulty levels, you could see almost predict what they were going to do. And it, I just it was, it was such a god simulator for me. I think because you you, you were sort of thinking about what you were going to do while thinking about what the AI was going to do as well. And I, I don't know, does that does that transition to playing with real people, or is it much more of a you know you've got to play your own style because they're going to do whatever they're going to do well with my group the one thing we agree on is no war because we don't want to we don't want somebody to be forced out of the game because they uh, don't yeah so that was our own rule 
But that being said, all of my friends watch YouTubes and find out the best strategies on playing the game. <laughs> That's all right. But wait, it gets better because uh, they keep updating this game and adding all kinds of new random stuff to it, which is fantastic for sex. And one of the things they added is you can hide and shuffle the check tech tree. So I made my husband start doing that with all of our friends. So all of those walkthroughs, we're all on an even playing field because nobody can see exactly where the next uh, step in the flying is. Oh, that's you, you shuffle them before you start or you, you can shuffle them as you're actually playing? So what it does is it hides all of the all of the tech trees. They're still going to oh. be where, where they're going to be, but ne necessarily the bottom one might not be the one you expect it to be. It shuffles in the column or the row. Oh, it shuffles in the row and then hides everything. So it's becoming more like gambling almost. You don't know which one you're going to unlock. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it made all my friends who like are into strategy and doing the exact same thing. I was losing because they watched so much strategy videos, whereas I don't have that kind of time or energy. I'd rather play other games. So they can't do that because they're all hidden. Also, oh, that's with, wonderful. Also with Civ Six, I don't know if you realize this or not. There's there's uh natural disasters, volcanoes, uh, mm. flooding, which is really interesting. Um, there is the Dark Age, the Golden Age, where you can um, your people are so happy you have a Golden Age, so you have prosperity. Or they're so terrible you have a Dark Age. <laughs> It, it it's, it's so funny because like, you know, I'm basically, work has basically finished up for the year now. So time's really starting to free up. And I thought, I was literally thinking last night, you know, as I was finishing up some stuff, I was like, I'll know the holidays have begun when I turn on this this laptop or whatever. And I and I open up a sim style game, whether it be Civilization 6 or I've had my eye on the Planet Coaster as well, because I, I, I want to get that old. I don't know if you ever played the old theme park world from years and years ago, but I, I quite enjoyed that. And I think... I think I'm ready to lose myself in a in a game like that, you know. And as you say, like 10 hours just goes out of nowhere. And what I always loved about it too, and it's similar to how I play a lot of the console games, is I just leave them on and I just play a little bit and then I'll go do something else. And then I know you can't do this with other people playing, but if it's solo, you can. And just, just play as you like in these turn-based style games. I think there's a lot to be said for that, especially, you know, if, you, if you've got other things going on. Yeah, so I don't know if you know this, Civ 6 is actually on the Switch. Yes, I know. But look, does it really hold up on the Switch? <laughs> well, sort of. So, so a lot a lot of it, if you play in handheld mode, is touch controls. Oh, okay. Which isn't bad, except that when you get really far into the game, it slogs like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what... What, what, like I remember back in the day, Kali, you know, when we had the old PC and you'd play and you'd do everything and it'd say, okay, press enter to end the turn. And you'd be like, okay, well, when I press enter, I can go get a coffee. I can go walk the dog or read the newspaper. I'll be back in 25 minutes and it'll be my go. And that's just because it took the computer so long to crunch out the whole map that it was, uh, it was insane. But I mean, we don't live in that time, but I, I'm worried that the Switch late end game may emulate that sort of a time. <laughs> Can I recommend a game, a god game for you? Please. Birthday, the, birthday's the beginning. Okay, what is this? I've never heard of it. I actually got lucky enough to win a copy from a contest. It is a world building where you are god and you're creating the world. And as you create the world, depending on how you create the world, what organisms will develop. Oh, okay. What what system are we talking? Is this PC or? 
I think it's on all the systems. Okay, I'll check that and put it in there. Yeah, and I think if you're good enough, you can actually create dinosaurs. <laughs> that's fan. That's fantastic. Okay, so this is birthdays the beginning. I'll, I'll look. Yeah. I'll look into this. That's wonderful. Now, is there any other games you'd like to drop on us? I'm conscious of keeping you and the time as we approach the well, the hour mark, I suppose. Anything else you'd like to to throw at us? Uh, let's see. Code Vein. We talked about. Uh, Monster Hunter. I've been playing Monster Hunter because I'm a big fan. And December fourth, the movie comes out. Did you see that? <laughs> is there a movie of Monster Hunter? Yes. There's a movie. Do you know who stars in it? I have no idea. Oh, God. Mila Jovanich. Oh, okay. Is there an actual character in that game, though? Or is it she, it's just like playing like a playable character, like the, the a person sort of thing? In in uh, Monster Hunter? Yeah, like to make a movie on it. There's no real story, is there? Like no storyline. Well, there is actually a storyline in... in uh, monster hunter i couldn't tell you what it is because you know i have played a hundred of them but i couldn't tell you what any of the stories are because you really don't pay for the story no no in the movie it's about an army like an army platoon or i guess an army uh yeah i guess a small platoon who go through a portal and end up on the monster hunter world oh fantastic i know Is is this is this a straight to netflix uh production no, I'm so mad because I want it to be because, you know, I'm in the United States and we're ravaged by the stupid pandemic. I want everything to come right in my house. I don't have to go out. So, no, it's going to be in theaters. But Monster Hunter is running a event for the movie in the game. Oh, okay. This is this is fantastic. This sounds like it will be a janky movie. I, I'm, I'm warning you. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. If you watch the trailer, the trailer, like, it just brings all of the monsters I fight on a regular basis to life. And that's amazing right there. And, of course, I know it's going to be a janky movie, but I'm still going to watch it. It's it's like the video games awards. They're going to be terrible, but I'm going to watch them anyways. <laughs> that's so true. Look, I, I have to ask, does this movie, much like a Monster Hunter experience, run at about 300 hours? No, actually. It's, I don't <laughs> think it does. But may, maybe 300 minutes. Yeah, I like that. Well, look, look, I may add that to the list because I've had some wonderful recommendations from a previous guest. I'm styling on your bro. He's he's discovered that I do like janky movies, and he sent me a list. But at the at the top of the list, Kali, and actually, I think you may find this movie interesting as well. I'm saving it for Christmas Eve. It will be my Christmas movie for this year. So I suppose I'm revealing my hand a bit early, but I'd like to share it with you because you know you and Jim, you may you may find something wholesome in this as well. It is called The Wonderful Santa Jaws. I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie before. No, definitely not. Well, you have to watch it because it's got the jaws, but his little his little catchphrase, if you like, is that he has the Santa hat on his fin for the whole movie. So I think what what better way than to see out this this year than a than a man eating shark with a with a Santa hat. <laughs> I, uh, we'll we'll have to get you back after we've both seen it. I I think so. Look, I want to I want to thank you again for giving up your time tonight, Clay. I really I really appreciate speaking to you. It is also wonderful to hear a little bit outside of just the console ecosystem, and as well at the start, all those terms defined because I love saying the words, but I have no idea what they mean. But at least now. I know a little bit more. So, look, if people are trying to find you, if they're trying to find the wonderful Game Stuff podcast, where can they do all this? Uh, our Facebook group. If you search at Game Stuff Podcast, you'll probably find our public site 
Uh, we do have a private uh, Facebook group that we do keep private. Just that way in case you don't want anybody to know you're talking to us. Or I don't want anybody to know that I'm talking instead of working. That's true. Uh, you could always find us there. We're always monitoring that uh, 24 hours, almost 24 hours a day. Uh, you could also talk to my other hosts, Joe and Corey and Roberto. Uh, they each have different aspects of gaming that they like. Uh, we all game differently. Corey's a big PlayStation guy. Um, Joe is a big PlayStation and Switch guy. And um, as far as I can tell, Roberto at this point will play anything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is It is a wonderful mix of, of, of gaming and with yourself as well. I mean, you, you're definitely all over the PC, the Switch, and the, the PS4. There's not a lot of Xbox love in there, but, you know, most of that catches into the PC anyway. So I, I feel you're, you're, you're pretty broad in scope. Yeah, I try to be because, you know, a lot of people, and you'll see this, uh, oh, the Xbox isn't doing as well as the PlayStation 5, and the PlayStation 5 is so much better. What it comes down to is the games. And I've had people tell me that the Xbox Series S is a terrible system because it can't do everything the Xbox Series X can do. And, you know, the PlayStation's mini system is better. If you can't afford to spend a lot of money on gaming, the Xbox Series S is a fantastic price. Because um, I don't know if you guys have this over there, but we have the option to do a zero financing payment plan of like $25 a month and it includes Game Pass, mm. which is fantastic for people who can't afford to spend thousands of dollars on gaming. I, th I think that's a really good point because, I mean, you know, if you, if you just waste out, you know, at, at this time of year in particular, it's an expensive time of year. And then to get to get stung with one console, you know, or two, if you're if you're that lucky, I suppose it's a big investment. And then also the games on top, because as you alluded to earlier in the episode, the, the PS5 games, they're not cheap by any stretch. The, the three games they've put out or four games or whatever. So. Yeah, it's not a it's not a cheap endeavor, and I know you know PC games are like oh you know suck suck the fuck up you know compared to what it costs us, but but it is for a console gamer that you know that that's had a system for eight plus years is used to paying you know relatively little for games. It it, it is an it is a big investment, Kali. I think I think you're right on. Right, right, and with the Xbox, you know, if you're a PlayStation fan and you guys oh the Xbox sucks. The Xbox is investing in Game Pass and they're bringing back the console to the players and they're saying, you know what, we have this ability for you to buy to play anywhere and giving anybody the chance to be able to play these and experience the games. I don't care what console you're on. If you come and tell me that Final Fantasy VII is awesome and I'll be like, oh yeah, I played it until that one part that everybody hates. It doesn't matter if I play it on my PlayStation or play it on my PC or you play it on an Xbox Series S. It's the fact that we play it, we can discuss it. Yeah, that's 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 a hundred percent true. And what, one of the things we didn't cover today, we'll save for next time, perhaps. Of course, is the PC Game Pass, which you know it can be lumped into the Ultimate Game Pass, or it can be taken separately. It's very affordable. And it was only this morning someone mentioned it, and I said, "Well, look, you can probably earn enough points through the Microsoft Rewards in a month to even pay for that. You know, if you don't want to put any money into it for a month or two mm -hmm. to try it. And again, you know, I understand that PC games, you've got your Steam and everything else, but if you if you're a console gamer that has a PC and you just dipping your toes in the water perhaps you don't need to buy the the game and, and you're more than happy to, to jump in there and there, there are so many games on there as well i mean and, and i know some wonderful god games as well on there <laughs> and and the xbox game pass ultimate which is what i do especially around this holidays are on sale i've picked up 
three months of Xbox Ultimate for about 20 bucks. It's normally 45. Mm. Uh, and you know what they dropped on console today on the Game Pass console? Yes, I do. <laughs> I wonder if you're <laughs> going to see this control, which is wonderful timing because I almost bought it for the Xbox the other day. So. It's a good thing you didn't because now you can play it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, we were only only discussing that this morning. Now, look, I have just received a phone call from Phil Spencer. He's told us to stop shilling. He's not giving us any more money today, Eli. So we'll have to to leave our Xbox talk there. Thanks for that, Phil. But as I said, I... <laughs> I, re- I really do appreciate your time. I'm hoping that you will come back again uh, in the future to talk more games with me. Anytime. Thank you, Glenn. No problem. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners. And again, please check out my podcast. So there you go, listeners. A chat about, well, a chat about a lot of things, I suppose. We covered some PC, a little bit of Switch love. We even threw around some of these technical terms for these wonderful new TVs and consoles that we're all embracing. But look, I do want to thank Clive one more time and, of course, direct you to her wonderful podcast, Weekly on all good podcast providers, of course, game stuff, discussing more than just PlayStation. But look, why don't we throw some PlayStation gaming love at you today? Now, look, bit of big news. Since we started the recording of this episode and today, a few days later when I'm coming back to finishing it, the Xbox Series X did arrive. Super excited, super stoked. I don't want to dwell on it. I don't want a major orgasmly fanboy out, but I will say the setup was seamless. It's all done via the phone and the app, and it was so, so easy. Of course, downloading, these games are massive. I didn't realize that even with the disc, you know, the, the new version of the game, the up if it's available, of course, downloads on top. So, you know, even with this somewhat better internet now, that still took a fair bit of time. But, you know, all in, all in 24 hours. And I know I've been a little critical at times of the new systems, and I can only imagine that on the PS5, it is it is the same performance that you're experiencing or have been experiencing that I that I've t- just tasted on the X now. But it has it has blown me away. From loading times through to through to the picture is phenomenal. But look, why don't we throw in some games and we can get to that. So I wanted to start with Immortal Phoenix Rising. This is the perfect cross-gen game for me, I suppose. It is a Ubisoft game. It is an Assassin's Creed style game, but it's set in the Greek mythos, in the in the world of sort of fantasy, I suppose. It is a wonderful I don't want to say a clone of Breath of the Wild, but it wonderfully steps between these two series, the Assassin's Creed franchise and the Breath of the Wild. And how it does that is it sort of encompasses the exploration of Breath of the Wild, a similar art style, if you like. You can climb any of the the mountains. It also borrows this idea of exploration in that there are no markers on the map like you'd be used to in your Assassin's Creed games. Now, you can climb up these 
these giant Greek statues or, or even up the mountains and then take this thing they call far sight. And by looking around the map and the controller will rumble as you as you find different points of interest, you can uncover them that way and then they are marked on the map. Or you can just sort of free roam around. One of the amazing things about this game is that you do get wings. In fact, you get a series of wings so that you can fly. And it's something that's never been present in an Assassin's game. And it's perhaps something I wish had been present in Breath of the Wild or the, the little bit that I played of it. Because it does make navigating areas uh, easier, I suppose, and also also far more interesting it works on a wonderful system where when you start the game, the wings are broken, so you can hardly fly. You just sort of jump a little bit, but then you get gliding wings and, and so forth and so forth. Now, I did say it is similar to Breath of the Wild, but what I like about this game is that even though it's an open world, I still have overall story quests, so I still know roughly where I'm heading. My problem with Breath of the Wild was it was just so open that I just didn't know what to do at any time. So that's definitely on me. One of the other great things about this game is there is weapon durability. The weapons don't break down like they did in Breath of the Wild. And again, maybe if you're a purist, you like that. But that is annoying as shit to me. So knowing that I've got this weapon for as long as I want is wonderful. Now, it does play on a similar game loop to Assassin's Creed. So you will be acquiring weapons with small buffs as you go. You will be acquiring multiple armor sets. Some have different benefits to different parts of the game. So as to sort of keep the game, I suppose, not broken or not too OP. <laughs> so as to not gain too much OP nature in the game, they have a stamina bar, which sort of starts with four blue lines, if you like. Now, that's always present when you're either flying or you're climbing a mountain. If you hit the fourth one, then you, uh, you fall off. You, you run out of stamina. You can't hold on. And just stopping on the mountain or stopping in midair won't save you. Now, as you go, you can upgrade that through a wonderful uh, hall of gods where there are plenty of, plenty of options to spend your in-game currency. Now, yes, there is microtransactions that works on a similar premise to previous Assassin's Creed games to unlock cosmetics and weapons but you will earn plenty of in-game uh, collectibles and in-game currency I suppose I should say there are many currencies in this game from gems to fruits so if you if you like collecting there's plenty of opportunity it's very easily broken down though whether you're spending coins your fruits your your gems or what you're using your gold to acquire different weapons or to build your strength now this game has a really out there sense of humor i think if you like it's a it's a story between prometheus who is the overall narrator throughout the game unseen narrator for most of the game and zeus they're having a conversation about the the taros the the god that they locked under the mountain throughout the game and they're they're doing it through this character or through yourself i suppose phoenix now it doesn't I don't know how to describe it. When I started playing it, I was thinking this is like a, a Toys to Life game a little bit, a bit like a Skylanders game almost in, in sort of its way, but then it's completely not. And then I was like, well, it's more Assassins, but then it's not that either. It's, it's I suppose more of a puzzler than Assassins is. Now, you're not going to see thousands of NPCs just wandering around like you would be used to in those games. It is a sparse game in that nature. But there are tons of puzzles and they form in the way of rifts. So you fall down these rifts and you do almost like a little dungeon full of puzzles. Again, another Breath of the Wild. 
Now, you do gain chests, you do gain abilities through these. But there are other interesting games throughout as well. There's a sound game with giant harps and small harps playing tunes, and you have to run from one side of the map remembering the tunes. There's this wonderful flight game where you, you play, I suppose, as a first-person arrow. If you're used to the Assassin's game, you'll know one of the abilities you can unlock is to control the arrow even after it's left the bow. This uses it in almost like a race mechanic, a race against your stamina as you race through these gates before the arrow falls. It's kind of it's kind of fun. This game though is also kind of tricky because while the puzzles start off easy, they they definitely develop and it's one of those things that you know you might you might be you know trying to trying to explore around a temple to even see how to get into it. So there's there is a lot of depth in this game. It's definitely not like an assassin's game where you're always just racing forward with the story or the the side quests. Having said that, it's perhaps not a game for everyone, but it is a perfect next-gen or cross-gen, I should probably say, game. I started this on the X and then have proceeded for the next four or so hours on the Series X. The only major difference I noticed, the the load times, not hugely, but I noticed that there was a much better use of light. But for both of them, in that art style, it actually works really well. And if you're trying to picture the art style, it's very Genshin Impact in style. I'm really enjoying it. I don't know how this game fits in against Valhalla or if you're playing both or if you're going to play one after the other. But if you can somehow manage it or, you know, throw it into next year, I'd highly, I'd highly recommend it. The next game I like to throw some love at is Fuser by Harmonics. Many people anticipating this next music rhythm game from the creators of the Rock Band series. And look, it doesn't fail to deliver. It is a virtual DJ sim, I suppose. It comes with a ton of songs. I want to say 40 to 60, depending on the VIP edition, I think up to 100. Yes, of course, there is going to be microtransactions as this game goes on where you can buy more songs. Looks like a subscription pass potentially as well, but there are so many songs within the game that you don't need to be worried about that, not unless you're going to be putting some serious time into it. One of the great, um, or one of the amazing things about this game is how well they've encaptured the music studio and I suppose the editing and mixing of music into a simplistic form. For musicians, obviously, used to products like Pro Tools, GarageBand, Reaper, you'll be used to things like quantize, like electronic lining up against the beat, about distorting against the beat, all these sort of features, your fade-ins, your fade-outs. This game makes this all really simple. It has a wonderful snap to beat quantize which basically means you can line up different songs from different genres just drop them in and it'll snap to the best part on the beat for you now as the game goes on there is definitely variation to this you can syncopate the beat and you can also layer the tracks and it does this by a series of dots moving across it can get quite complicated Now, whether you need musical knowledge or not to play this game, look, I don't know. I don't think you do to enjoy it, but I think perhaps you do to maybe get the most out of it. But it's something that you can learn with your ears or whatever else. And one of the amazing things I've already found is how well I can mix genres. So I might take the drums from a country and throw it against a rap vocals and a a hip hop or R&B bass. There are so many variations because for every song, it breaks the song down into the bass, the drums, the keys, the vocal and the guitar lines. 
and then you mix those lines within. As I said, it sounds complicated, but it's not because you just grab the CD and drop it on the different wheel or turntable that will take care of each of those. Now, of course, it is gamified. The audience there is yelling out they want to hear this. They want to hear a track from the 90s. They want to hear whatever in there. As you go into each concert and each stage, you actually pick a crate, they call it, of songs. It can be anywhere from 5 to 10 to 20 as the as the game moves on. Of course, how you set that set is completely up to you. They always advise a few songs to start. But again, you may be carrying songs the audience doesn't want to hear or it does. And that's where I I suppose the story, if you could call it, comes in. Sure, it's a little bit cheesy, but you're not playing this game for the story, although it is there. You're obviously growing as a DJ. You're playing different festivals. By looking at the the person that owns the festival or the main draw card, I suppose, the main DJ, you can get a feel for what their audience will want. Of course, all the festivals and sets are replayable. Where this game really shines, though, is in the free play section. This opens up all the songs. You can mix them however you like. It's really a wonderful experience. There is online, which I haven't really dabbled in yet, where you can go head-to-head against other DJs around the world, or you can even compete just locally in local co-op. It's a wonderful game that I'm super enjoying. I think there's value here for everybody. Will it drop in price as a base as a base game? Look, it's highly possible, but go in knowing that down the track you may you may get addicted and you may want to buy more songs. Look, I can't be all glowing about new experiences. And one of the games I was really hoping would pick up on the Series X in the next-gen version was Dirt 5 by Codemasters. Unfortunately, the only praise I can sing of this game is that the loading time is phenomenally quick between races. If you spam through the reward and XP screens after the race, you can be into the next race in literally under 10 seconds. It's an amazing improvement in the load times. That, unfortunately, is about where it stands for me. Yeah, it looks better, but it doesn't look anywhere near what I would have expected from them, even running on the next-gen system. Look, it's a fun game, I suppose, but it's highly arcadey, and it gets boring quickly. You are repeating a core group of events over and over. The challenges within the event range from super easy to ridiculously insanely difficult, but you don't even need to do the challenges to progress the events or get the platinum or 1000G. It's a real mixed bag of a game. I don't know who they were aiming it at. It's arcadey in every sense of the word. There is no simulation element in this game at all. So if you do just look, you're looking for a fun game or whatever, I would definitely rate it above Project Cars 3, but I would highly urge to wait for a deep sale on this game. Perhaps one of the most bizarrest things about Dirt 5 is that it has a story. It's told through a podcast, the Donut Podcast, if you'd believe it or not, between events. I don't understand why there's a story. It's not engaging in any way. It's just it's just this game, I feel, has missed the mark completely. But look, you know, you jump in, you tell me what you think if you disagree. The final game I'd like to drop drop <laughs> some love on today is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's another game that I've been waiting to start for some time. And look, I finally jumped in. This, for me, has been the best, I suppose, test of the new system graphically. I am playing on the LG CX uh, OLED TV, which, yes, we talked about earlier in the episode, 
if there is some way you can stretch your budget or save, I would highly recommend you save for this TV. It is unbelievable. It blows my old Sony TV out of the water, which is no surprise, but it ranks really highly. We've talked about it has a 144 refresh rate and G-Sync as well. Look, who knows what those things really do, but it's doing something to make the picture phenomenal. I thought at the start of Assassin's, when you, you end the snow there, I thought I could literally put my hand through and touch it it's uh it's quite amazing it does seem very early on like a hodgepodge though with facial animations still of something you would have seen a few years ago interdispersed with this amazing light and that is one of the things if nothing else i've seen so far from the x and i can only assume it is the same on the ps5 the hdr with a good tv is out of this world therefore if you are going to engage in these systems you need a tv with high level Level HDR, if nothing else. And of course, I'm talking about the lighting there. It is phenomenal. We saw HDR first make an appearance in Horizon Zero Dawn, and it was early technology that didn't didn't work. Sometimes the, the whites were so white you couldn't see anything, and the dark was so dark you couldn't see anything. They've really streamlined this now. It's really obvious that the systems have enough power to really start to play with this. And I can't wait to see into next year when we get games like Control and cyberpunk with the updates with the ray tracing as well it's going to be it is going to be something to behold so let's stop the love on games there but i did want to give you some playstation and xbox love in an episode that's been largely i suppose about other systems and consoles but look we're all gamers so what is not to love so that brings us to our Push to Plat Platinum shoutouts for this week. Remember, if you want a shout-out, jump in the Discord, post your picture, post a comment, or in the free-to-join community on the PS4. And we're going to start today with Ed the Shed 2014. It's a big one. Number 149, 150 milestone, and 151. And he's made it the wonderful chickens on the road. Apropos, because it is literally, as the name says, chickens on a road. EU NA and Asia stack. Whilst doing these, I earned my 5,000th trophy. Congratulations, sir. Gaz Davis drops in with number 72 and his first PS5 plat, Astro's Playroom. Great little title showing off the controller. Boston George, number 194, Maneater. Quick and fun platinum. It really is fun, isn't it? And Scaly Pete, or Nasty Pete, as I like to call him, what a fun storyline. Perhaps a little frustrating towards the end, but overall, it's well worth an experience. Of course, also, and I believe may already be up or updated in whatever wonderful ways for the PS5 and X Series X. Vigilant Crow, Platinum number 41, Cod Call. Vigilant Crow, Plat 41, Cod Cold War. Wow, sir, that was that was really quick. Had a blast running around with the chickens that were equipped with grenade launchers. <laughs> we went after a gorilla who attacked us with a wooden spoon. Oh, and there's something about a cold war. I didn't pay attention to that though. It's so true, isn't it? It's just multiplayer fun, these games. Congratulations, sir. I'm so tempted to pick this up. I'm only interested in the story, but I'm not I can't justify it at the moment. But when I hear things like wooden spoons and chickens, I think as soon as I finish Chickens on the Road, this has to be the next game for me. I'm Starling on your bro, number two hundred and thirty-four. 
Hunting Simulator 2. It's funny to think I pushed off HS2 so long due to dreading the first HS. In the end, I actually loved HS and wasn't all that keen on HS2. Other than a relaxing score, improved sounds and better graphics, everything else was a negative. The simulation was made very grindy due to having a money system. You had to buy all equipment. Thank RNG Sus for glitched infinite scent spray, as opposed to unlocking it via completing missions in the original. I suppose unlocking via a mission isn't possible when the simulation lacked a mission system. Oops. <laughs> Wonderful. They also introduced dogs to hunt with. They were about as useless as tits on a bull. The dogs actually made it harder to hunt big game, impossible to hunt rabbits, and were the grindiest part of the simulation. Their experience bars raised slower than the sea level due to the melting ice caps. There was also bullet drop, but unlike its predecessor, you couldn't see bullet trajectory to even know where to aim. At least I'm the fastest achiever for now. If you want to dethrone the Sim King, be careful, as the past person who tried failed. Well, there you go. After that write-up, who who couldn't be eager to line up for Dog Simulator 2021? It's wonderful, sir. Congratulations on sticking it out. MZ Nitro drops in. Number 23. You, you can't get more opposed here. Number 23, Jigsaw Abundance. The wonderful splat tub. Splat, the wonderful spam title that went splat. Needed a quick plat for the TT event. One of the fastest games. It just needs you to solve 20 puzzles for the plat and should take like 30 minutes to complete. Best trophy hunter ever, CSO. Number 565, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Harry, your eyesight is truly awful. I'm going to leave that one there. I wonder why though, Harry. I wonder why. Zador VP. And look, this is a big one. This one really interests me. I know it's going to be janky, but you know, I don't mind the jank. Let me, let me tell you what he says. Number 479, Twin Mirror. Don't Nod Entertainment's newest non-exclusive game, which is like a mix between Deadly Premonition, Remember Me, and Heavy Rain. I enjoyed the mystery, although I had guessed the people involved in the crimes early on and solved the entire mystery long before the end. But this is definitely a game that will not appeal to everyone. It's obvious it's not made by the same team that made Life is Strange, from how unpolished and janky it is, although it does still contain a reference to Lisa, the plant from the first Life is Strange. Still, I hope they do make more games like this, as mystery solving is quite Look, sir, if anything, I'm even more intrigued now. I love this studio, Don't Nod. Their life is strange. To me, it's just getting better and better. I understand it's the B team, but you know, even the B team can hit a janky ball across the fence sometimes. And I think this is a game for a nice glass or five of wine and a night in. I can't wait. So listeners, that brings us to the end of another week. Don't forget, if you'd like to be involved in the show, then send in a list of your favourite games you have played and completed this year. They can be across any system and any release date, as long as you've finished them up this year. If you want to put a little comment as well to read, so we can read on the show, please do. You can submit up to five, ten games maximum is all I ask, and you can do so via... 
PM on the Discord. You can send it to the Push to Plat email or via Twitter, which is all available in the show notes. Go on, have your say. This show, while it appears like one man's talking Muppet, egocentrical view... This show, while it may appear like one man's talking Muppet egocentrical trophy fest, is really a community project. We've had guests from all over the world sharing about their games. So now it's your turn. Write in and share about what you enjoyed this year. I hope you all have a wonderful week. May the games be great. May the trophies be kind. May the gamer score be plentiful. What a time to be gaming. What a time to be a trophy hunter. Be good, but not too good. And I'll catch you next week. See you soon. Push to Plat podcasts are conceived, written and edited by CJ Anderson in Adobe Audition. YouTube upload handled by Repurpose.io. Music licensing by Artist.io. Push to Plat would like to thank all our Patreon supporters with special mention to our Patreon producers, Zadol VP, Redbeard Rick, Ready to Ebag, and MZ Nitro. Without your support, this show would cease to exist. If you would like to say hi, jump into the Discord in the show notes or on Twitter at Push to Plat. If you're interested in supporting the show, then jump on Patreon, the Push to Plat Patreon where you can find more information on how to support us and to allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests and topics from around the world.